welcome to the fifth episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. Today's episode is so amazing. We have my good friend Charlemagne the God and my little brother Stefan Gilmore joining us. Of course, you know Charlemagne from The Breakfast Club, his new show on Comedy Central. And Stefan happened to win a Super Bowl. He should have been a Super Bowl MVP. And even more importantly, he is a defensive player of the year for the New England Patriots. My really, really good friend, a little brother, Stefan Gilmore. We got a great show. Thank you guys for downloading, subscribing. We've had great episodes. We've had Deshaun Watson and Alan Kavana. We've had Tiffany Cross. We've had Antoine Jameson and Vince Carter. We've had Jason Johnson most recently. And now this episode with Stefan and Charlemagne is going to be so dope. Thank you so much for joining us today. You know, one of the things that I want to discuss is kind of where we are as a country. And the new fault line in the Republican Party is now sending teachers and children into the COVID mess that they've created by forcing everyone back to school in the fall. You've heard these stories. But let's be clear about this. Republicans have given up on leading on COVID. They're going to force us to thug through it. And they're going to put everyone's lives on the line full stop. This is pure fuckery. In Florida, the trash governor of Florida... DeSantis says that if Walmart is open, schools should be too. Your president has said he'll pull funding for schools if they don't open. But just think about the fact that the money schools would need to open safely. Cleaning supplies, additional cleaning staff, hazard play, physical safeguards, masks for our lowest income students, broadband so that students can connect to school 24-7. He's always missing in action. ICU beds in many of our states are near capacity. In many of our southern states, we won't even require people to wear masks. I'm looking at you, Henry McMaster. Unless you become like Texas and open too soon, do nothing, run out of ICU beds, and then force people to do the minimum too late. Why is this the case? It's because Republicans have become the party of Trump, which means they're out of ideas and they're abandoning leadership altogether. What we have is a party that's abandoned their country. Forcing your kids and teachers to go to school and leave everyone in the country, even the more vulnerable, those who are vulnerable, who have pre-existing conditions, they can catch COVID quicker than most, and they will be exposed and be cautionary tales in this pandemic, while we're not even forcing people to wear masks in many cases. But this administration will make sure that immigrants and brown people are penalized if their schools take the right precautions or they go through uh, virtual school this fall. And, uh, you know, they've now stated that international students won't be allowed if it's virtual. But this is on brand for Trump and Republicans in 2020. They have no plan and we're on our own. That is the should be the new model of the new Republican Party. For me, it's quite simple for the Bakari Sellers podcast. The only way to fix this is to vote their asses out. And to be honest, while I have your attention, Breonna Taylor's murderers are still free. Let's say their names, too. Brett Hankinson, Jonathan Mattingly, and Miles Cosgrove. I need everyone here to call the Kentucky Attorney General's office, their Department of Criminal Investigations, at 866-524-3672 and demand that they be arrested and charged. Here's another great episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast with Charlemagne the God and my good friend and little brother, Stefan Gilmore. Okay. 
All right, all right. Thank you and welcome to the, I guess we're on the fifth episode of the Bakari Sellers Podcast. I got my brother with me today. Today is going to be a laid back conversation and I'm so excited to have Charlemagne the God with us today uh, from the Breakfast Club, from the new Comedy Central show. But even more importantly, Charlemagne the God is from Monk Corner, South Carolina. You already know. You already know. I'm in South Carolina right now. I'm in the Isle of Palms right now. Man, if I would have known this, we would have done this face to face and just had some Remy White and just start and some boiled peanuts and just start chilling. Oh, we just went through, we just went we just went through some boiled peanuts. What kind of y'all had though? Regular, no flavor. Yeah, no flavor. No, nah, no. I like to do a little Cajun on mine though. Cajun I'm I'm sophisticated now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so look, man, you've been in the game almost 22 years. Tell me about the Hall of Fame nomination uh, and the Radio Hall of Fame nomination and what that means as you look back on your time in radio. I feel good about it. You know, some people would say um, it might be a little bit too early, but you know, like like you just said, I've been doing radio for 22 years. The Breakfast Club is going on 10, and it just so happens you have to be in the game 10 years to be even eligible for the award that that we're up for. I think it's like uh, active syndication 10 years or better or something like that. And it's kind of bittersweet. It's bittersweet only because I noticed a long time ago the Radio Hall of Fame, like most institutions in America, doesn't have a lot of diversity. It's yeah. not a lot of black people, not a lot of brown people, not a lot of women. And um, I was having a conversation with Donnie Simpson today because Donnie Simpson is nominated as well. Whoa, 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 whoa. Slow down. You just can't be having random conversations with Donnie Simpson. <laughs> My, you know, all the aunties are going to go crazy that you're talking to Donnie Simpson. That's your guy? Donnie done took them all down. Donnie done took the aunties down, a couple of young <laughs> grandmas, some mamas. If you live in the D.C., that DMV area, yeah. You probably, you probably, Donnie probably got you, but no, I, you know, I never met Donnie before. I, I was actually shouting him out yesterday because I was shouting out everybody that's nominated, you know, for the Radio Hall of Fame this year. And I, I was saying how it's a travesty that Donnie Simpson is not in the Radio Hall of Fame already. He's not? No, he's nominated this year and he was nominated two years ago and didn't get in. So, and same thing with Angie Martinez. Angie Martinez was nominated last year and didn't get in and she's nominated again this year. And so it's just like, man, when you see brothers like Sway, Sway Calloway, Donnie Simpson, Angie Martinez, and then you find out people like Frankie Crocker and Petey Green, they're not in the Radio Hall of Fame. It just shows you how there's so much blind spots when it comes to black and brownness in America. These are the people that inspired me. And so I feel like it would almost be wrong if I got in before they did. That's kind of crazy right there because we, we all grew up on Donnie Simpson. And Angie Martinez is the queen of hip-hop. I mean, there's no Little Kim, there's no Nicki Minaj, there's no Cardi B, etc. without somebody like Angie Martinez in those rooms who was telling people to play their records. That's Absolutely. that's crazy. And even and but, even big, even even before that, Angie was a rap artist. Angie was like Angie was Angie and Lil Kim was like the same era when Angie was rapping. People forget Ladies Night. That was Angie. Yeah. Angie started that record off. What what makes the Breakfast Club so dope? I mean, I know y'all got to and I'm probably I don't want to be spoiling the reporter stuff, but you know, he he reached out to me in the LA Times and I was talking to him. I know y'all got a profile coming out. I was talking to him about the fact that y'all have this very interesting relationship and all of you all play different roles and what makes The Breakfast Club what it is today. And by the way, just so everybody listening knows, Bakari Sellers was the first political guest The Breakfast Club had on. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, during uh, 2014 Black History Month and I was a Black History Month hero along with none other than 2 Chains. <laughs> <laughs> That's a fact. I tell everybody that. I think the reporter asked me that too. He was like, yo, how did that start? And I say, yo, that was Bakari. Bakari <laughs> in 2014 when he was running for he was running for lieutenant governor, right? That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, he was running for lieutenant governor, and we made him a Black History Month legend. And <laughs> you know, it's like Bakari started putting the word out to not only just other political 
I mean, politicians, but then political pundits as well. And it's just like the, the door. So what, what, what's the difference between the Breakfast Club and everything else? I mean, you guys have stood the test of time. Why are y'all? Why are you all so good at what you do? And yes, it did take time. And yes, you do stand on the shoulders of, you know, the Tom Joyners and the Russ Pars and the Ricky Smileys, et cetera. But you guys have taken the baton and put it in a whole new space. I'm give, I, I got to give the most cliche answer ever, man, God. Because, yeah. you know, you, 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 you never know why things turn out the way that they turn out. You know, it's, I, I work hard. Envy works hard. Angelique works hard. We're prepared, just like I'm sure everybody else is prepared and everybody else works hard. But sometimes things just fall the way they fall for whatever reason. But I will say I do think it's because we all have so many different interests. And I think throughout the course of 10 years, we, we haven't been afraid to grow. That's one thing that I, I absolutely never wanted to do. Like, I look at a lot of these radio personalities that are older than me. Yeah. They die in their beards and they still wearing their hat backwards and they still trying to keep up with, you know, what's the latest and greatest in hip hop. And I, I think hip hop is so much broader than just music and so much broader than the latest dances. Like, Bakari, you hip hop. You know what I'm saying? You, you, I'm getting old, though, man. I'm 35 yeah, now, though. Yeah, but you can quote Outkast and, oh, and, and, yeah. and, and the finest and trap music with the best of them. So. That's true. I will tell you that one of the greatest albums ever, people don't give it the respect it does, is Trap or Die. Trap or Die is the best mistake of all time. People want to argue with that. Trap or Die is the best. Do, do you have a better mixtape than Trap or Die? Nah, bro. Not, not, no. Not that first, not that Jeezy Trap or Die. Not mixtape. Because that was the first mixtape to me that, that rolled like an album. It and was it, a full album. It was an album. And you just knew that. It was different, man. And Jeezy, and because I was in Atlanta at the time, and I and I don't want to be biased because, you know, BMF was something different. I remember I was at Vision one night. I tried to holler at Sierra. My wife already knows the story, so ain't nobody going to be mad. <laughs> but I tried to holler at Sierra. I had, all I had was my college ID, and I was in the back of the line. And Sierra walked by. This was when Goodies came out. She was dancing on top of the car. I, don't, I know y'all remember that album, that mm-hmm. song. And BMF pulled up. And Jeezy was with him. He was in the front in all the Ferraris and everything else. But they pulled up and they had buses, buses full of dudes that pulled out, jumped out with these BMF T-shirts. And Trap or Die was the realest thing that we knew. That album set the tone for an entire, it, it, it changed mixtapes. Yeah, when my wife first met Jeezy, my wife said to Jeezy, yo, do you know that this dude, we, used, we, we drove to Orlando, Florida one time, and he rode there and back listening to nothing but Trap or Die the whole time. And I was like, first of all, don't ever embarrass me like that ever again. Okay? You, <laughs> speaking of embarrassing, I don't know if you remember this. We were a little bit drunk, but do you remember when we came out of Tyler Perry Studios and uh, Jeezy was with his now fiance? That's when I, it happened. Oh. <laughs> That's when my wife said that. And I looked at... I looked at Jeezy and I was like, man, congratulations. Because I knew they were together and I, I didn't know where they were in their relationship. I was like, congratulations on your engagement. And he looked at you and he was like, man, this man just put me out there like that. They ended up, <laughs> they ended up getting engaged. So I feel, I feel better about myself, but I was embarrassed. <laughs> you was foretelling the future, that's all. I, that, that's all I was. Let's talk about your announcement this week about the new Comedy Central show. How did it come about? And talk to me about the new... Comedy Central will be hitting people over the head if they got you and Trevor Noah back to back. That's crazy. I'm doing a weekly, though. You know, Trevor is nightly. I think more, for me and my schedule and for what I do every day, I think weekly is better for me. I, I'm going to Bill Maher, John Oliver route, you know, coming on once a week. But, um, yeah, I mean, that comes from relationships. That's why relationships are so important. You know, the, my, my man who's the head of Comedy Central now, his name is Chris McCarthy. Chris was the head of MTV2 back in the day. So, you know, 10 years ago, damn near 10 years ago, when I got my first ever TV deal, 
$50,000 a year or maybe 55 when MTV2 didn't have a budget. I didn't even know why they even wanted me on television. First of all, you were making $55,000 a year? 10 years on ago. M- 10 years ago on, on, that, on that. What was, what was the name Geico. of that? I remember. The Geico, that was $55,000 a year? 55 a year. But, but I had an overall deal with MTV2, so I didn't just do Geico. Don't try to make, don't try to make it richer. It was still $55,000. 55, yeah. But I did whatever they needed me to do. So I was on all of these different shows and, you know, Chris is just my guy, and I, and I, I value relationships, and I value people who give me opportunities, because one thing that Chris saw, Chris saw something to me that I didn't see in myself, because I wasn't thinking about no TV at the time. Like, I knew that radio personality before me had did television, but I wasn't thinking about being on TV every day. And he put me on TV damn near every day. And now, almost 10 years later, he's one of the head honchos at CBS Viacom, and he's like, yo, you know what you need to be over here doing. And it really was just that easy. And what's so funny last year i pitched the show to comedy central and comedy central didn't get it at all like comedy central literally told my, my people i don't see where the funny is gonna come from and i was like well I, i'm not a funny person i'm not trying to be <laughs> funny i didn't know that y'all had me in here because y'all wanted me to tell jokes like you can't tell me that you listen to the radio every day and you appreciate what i do and you like what i do but then when i come in, come to you you don't even know what it is i do you know and, and that same concept chris heard it and he was like oh i want that let's go so what's the show going to look like? I mean, because if you get the Joe Bidens of the world and the Susan Rices and the Kamala Harris's of the world coming through Comedy Central, then you have a whole new dynamic, a whole new lane. Your show's going to be special. It's going to compete with Seth Meyers and Bill Maher and everybody else. Is that what you expect? That's exactly what I'm expecting. That's exactly what I want. You know what I mean? I wanted to have a, I mean, aesthetically, I wanted to have a cable news, a cable news type construct only because I feel like in, in 2020, after this pandemic, that's the kind of stuff that works. Like, you know, when you in CNN, it's literally like, it'll be you, Don Lemon, and like three camera people. That's right. You know, people so- don't know. And, and and by the way, you need to stay off Aaron Burnett. I feel like you're trying to take my my, my job because I see you on Aaron Burnett and everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I- if, if this nigga will get on, my, on, on CNN one more time, we're going to have to have a conversation. I love now, Aaron. You- but the same thing, like when you go to Aaron's show, it's Aaron, and it's like three camera people. So I think that works in this coronavirus Era. So, yeah, I mean, I want to do the same thing that we're doing on Breakfast Club, just maybe elevate the conversation a little bit more. I want to have you on. I want to have the Kamala Harris is on the same exact thing. Right? I want to have rappers that got something to say on. I want to have these people in our culture like the Mark Lamont Hills and Tiffany Crosses and Amanda Seals and Angela Rise. Everybody that has something to say, I want to have them on. I want to have I want to talk the way we talk on on TV. That's what I want. That's going to be so dope. I'm, I'm, I, I am as as your brother, your friend. Somebody who who we literally talk every day. I'm so proud of you. Um, I, I got to talk about this Biden interview. It's the now infamous you ain't black comment. Walk us through how that happened, because some people who don't listen to the full interview think you pushed the VP into saying that. And you didn't. I mean, people think that you were provocative. I think he actually said you were provocative and you weren't. Explain to listeners how that happened, the interview, because people only heard that point. And, and kind of what you wanted Joe Biden to get to. I mean, it happened like a lot of the big political interviews on our show happened because of Bakari Sellers. And, you know, Bakari, you know. And that, hey, that dude dope. That dude can make stuff happen, I heard. Bakari definitely <laughs> made stuff happen. And um, I don't, to be honest with you, I don't know how that moment came to be. I think that was God. I think that was God's way of just letting the Democratic Party know, like, y'all really need to do right by black people and y'all can't escape black people in 2020. So those words came out of Joe Biden's mouth on his own. And so I think that just made him have to continue to face the reality that I have to embrace black people in a way that no Democrat 
really ever has. And not just embrace them, but do something tangible for them in a real way, you know? The, the crazy thing is, I, I mean, I agree with you. And I, I, I find myself, I've been on TV often saying that, you know, people give, and I put you and, and Puff in the same category, and forgive me if you think that's wrong. I, I just, I say that Puff and Charlemagne, you know, y'all may say that they haven't communicated the right way, but their heart is in the right place. Their mind's in the right place. They're doing what's best for black folk. And they want these elected officials to have an agenda. What do you think Joe Biden has to do better in terms of his black agenda? What's missing? I think what's missing is, uh, I definitely think that it can be stronger when it comes to the, to the, to the economics, to what black people are actually. You've always, and that's what I was hitting on. You always talk about the economics. What do you want to yeah. see about the, I want to see I want to see like some real equity plans, man. I want to see them commit to like what Robert Smith is doing with the two percent plan where he's telling these corporations that they have to give two percent of their their net income to black banks over the next 10 years. Like I want to see something like that from our federal government. I would like to see the federal government say, yo, we're going to put 70 billion dollars into the most poor and disenfranchised, the top 10 most poor and disenfranchised communities over a certain period of time. You know, when we when you see them give out $1.8 trillion in a matter of two weeks, we know that that's not far-fetched for them to do for our community. So, I mean, I, that's, that's, that's my biggest thing. I want to see some type, of, some type of atonement happen through economics for the Black community. Even though you could never repay us for what we've been through in this country, that's a start to me. And I, and I, I also want to say, also want to say about Puff, I never told anybody to hold their votes. All I ever said was make sure you get something for your vote. Like that, I feel like, you know, votes are quid pro quo. Simple as that. And, and, I, and, and I, let me just, and I'm not somebody who's going to try to, you know, Puff can raise his own flag. I think Puff was saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. I do think, though, when you're not in a space where you have to articulate that often, and Puff's coming on the, shout out to, to everyone, Puff's coming on the Bakari Sellers podcast. You know, I think, and we'll ask him the question, but I think that, when you have more practice, because you do, because you're in front of the Bernie Sanders, you're in front of the Hillary Clintons, you're in front of the Joe Bidens and the Julian Castro's, et cetera, you get a chance to articulate that. And I do think that Puff being on a, a IG Live or whatever it was with Naomi Campbell didn't articulate it as well as people mm-hmm. expect. What do you say to people who who say that your critique of vice president helps Donald Trump? And I know that's bullshit. I mean, I, I really know that's bullshit. But what do you say to those people? I don't agree, I don't agree with that at all. I'm I'm actually trying to help Joe Biden because what what I'm trying to explain to Joe Biden is if he doesn't present something tangible to the black community, black people are going to stay home. Like people exactly. like say, oh, if you don't vote for Biden, then you're voting for Trump. Uh, but there's also another option. That option is doing nothing at all. And guess what? That they did does? it in 2016. They, they did it in 2016. 4.4 million people who voted in 2012 didn't vote in 2016. A third of them were black. They stayed. I say that stat all the, I mean, that's probably why we're in the same text message group that we talk all the time. But I say that stat all the time. I mean, what you're doing is not, and, and people think that we we are not sophisticated. Like we can't push Joe Biden to be better. And uh, work like hell to get him elected. That's that's just weird to me. Imagine what would have happened if Joe Biden, if we hadn't been pushing Joe Biden on getting a black woman running mate, which we still don't know if he's going to get, but it's looking like he's going to have one. Imagine if he'd have had Amy Klobuchar. Imagine, well, that, imagine what that, you think that would have energized people to come out? Well, don't, don't, uh, listen, don't, li- listen, my dude, don't, don't count your chickens yet. Hey, while, while we're here, let, let me ask you to rank something because, you know, this is on Spotify. This is this is the ringer. This is they do a lot of handicapping. Where do you rank a black agenda, a black Supreme Court justice and a black VP? Of course, I want all three of them. 
But in order, which one would you want? An agenda, a Supreme Court justice, or a VP? What's your top? How do you how do you rank them? Black agenda number one, because uh, black agenda would cover so much. Black agenda would cover you know, uh, the reparations. And when I say reparations, I just mean some type of atonement for slavery, however that looks, you know, whether it's the economic package, whatever it is, you know, I'm not talking about just handing a check to everybody, which would be, which I'm fine with that too, but I'm talking about actual tangible economic things you could do for the black community tomorrow. Black agenda covers that. Uh, black agenda would cover, you know, uh, criminal justice reform, prison reform, you know, police reform. Like, like to, to me, that's, that's economics, the economics of it. Economics. We talk yeah, education, everything. Then after that, for me, it would be um, definitely a black VP, only because I feel like a black VP is what's going to help energize black people to come out and vote. You know, like, especially if it's a black woman, it has to be a black woman. You are so tone deaf right now if you do not have a sister as your running mate. I think it should be an actual sister in position now that's about to be president. You know, I think that should have been Senator. Well, let's, uh, well let's talk about that. Who... You've also been vocal about a black woman VP. Who should it be? You know, I think I think Kamala is it. I think you believe that. Yep. What do you think happens if he doesn't pick a black woman? So answer the question. Is it Kamala? And then what happens if he picks Elizabeth Warren or somebody else like that? I definitely think it should be Senator Kamala Harris only because, man, the aesthetic of an old white man is just a turnoff nowadays. It don't matter if it's a Democrat or Republican. It don't seem progressive. It don't seem like where the country is going. So, yes, you have to have that sister up there. Uh, and I think it should be Senator Kamala Harris because she's smart and she makes old white men nervous. Jeff Sessions said that <laughs> out of his own mouth. Jeff Sessions said she makes me nervous. And that's what we need right now. And if he doesn't pick a black woman, I just think it's going to be tough for him to really energize that 13 percent of undecided black folks that are out there right now. I really do. I think the aesthetic of Joe Biden and Elizabeth Warren isn't what we want. Because listen, let's mean, be sure let, people aren't that politically sophisticated to really look and see what Elizabeth Warren is offering. Like we have a reality show star in the White House right now. People ain't aren't thinking that deep with their votes, man. Now, I'm with you. I mean, but let's talk about black men too, because you know, 13 percent of black men voted for Donald Trump. Why do you think that's the case? Because Donald Trump um, represents that 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 hip hop gangster mochismo that a lot of us like. You know, like and, and so and, I saw who was that? Who what rap? Oh, and I I don't I mean I like to go to L.A. So I don't even know what it's like. I mean I'm not in that industry to mention his name, but I I just think Wack 100 was just so completely fucked up and off base about his recent. Um, I think he what was he he Instagrammed how he was voting for Donald Trump, and you have all of these people who just say that they are going to you know, vote for Donald Trump. And, and it's a lot to do with that machismo. Is that what kind of falls into black men voting for him? Well, Wack, I saw what Wack said. Wack said, um, we don't know what Biden's going to do if he gets in the White House. Four years, and, and he said, I think, I'm not, I'm misquoting him a little bit, but he's, I'm paraphrasing. He said, four years of Trump, we survived that. That wasn't that bad. And you got to think, man, Joe Biden really does have 40 years of history in the Senate that people can look at and be like, man, you devastated the black community way more than Trump ever has. And, and, and they don't trust that. Like, that's the, the truth to the matter. And that's, that's a hurdle that Joe Biden has to get over that I don't know if he's necessarily done a good job because he keeps doubling down on things like the 94 crime bill. I mean, and he's putting more police on the street too. Like, it's kind of surreal. And I think that one of the things, because we got good friends, we got Cedric, we got Kamau, we got Simone, we got, we got people around him who are doing great work and who we hope that he's listening to, but it's really hard to change somebody who's been in the game this long, who has a track record like this. Let, that's, let's why just, he, that's why he needed to surround himself with the right people. Like when everybody keeps talking about 
he needed to show his shadow cabinet? Yes, he does. And, and yeah, I mean, so so if so, I, I mean, it, it, tangibly speaking, let's just talk about this like on a real way. If he chooses Amy Klobuchar, Elizabeth Warren, or or uh, I don't know Tammy Baldwin or somebody like that. The Breakfast Club is totally different. You, Angela, and DJ Envy, of course, y'all gonna rock with Joe, but it's totally different than versus if he chooses Val Demings or, or Kamala Harris. Is that not right? A hundred percent. And I think that what they don't understand is it's the difference between going out and voting and just saying, hey, y'all, yeah, I'm going to vote, as opposed to, no, we're going to vote and y'all need to go out and vote too. Y'all, we have to make sure we're at the polls on November 3rd. That's what happens if you put Senator Harris, Val Demons, Keisha Lance Bottoms, the state's Abrams. That's what happens if you do that. If you just pick, you know, Amy, if you pick Amy Klobuchar, you can forget it. Especially after what just happened in Minnesota. He, that, that would be the most tone-deaf move that yeah, he could I, I don't. I can't, I can't see him. Have. I, think, I think they're moving on from that. I, I honestly think that the final two choices are him and... Uh, Excuse me, are Kamala and, and uh, Elizabeth. You talk to a lot of influencers and entertainers about politics. You talk to them all the time. That's the most amazing thing. That's what I told the LA Times. I said, you obliterated, literally obliterated the lines. That's what the Breakfast Club has done. They've obliterated the lines between entertainment, culture, and like politics. So now they understand that black folk can do it all. But you're also, weirdly enough, you're a part of the mainstream of political journalism now. Because every time you say something, you're quoted in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times. So you also talk to establishment journalists and talk to politicians all the time. What do you think? That was a rambling question. But what do you think politicians, particularly Democratic politicians, miss about young, disillusioned, and angry voters that often tunes uh, into your shows? They don't know how to talk to them. I think Democrats are terrible at messaging. You know, I mean, and, and, and I understand that Donald Trump is not a politician. So being that he's not a politician, he doesn't speak the language of politics. And guess what? That cuts through more than what, you know, Joe Biden is saying. Or even if you go back and you watch, man, you go back and watch that Hillary documentary. There's a part where they show Bernie Sanders literally just saying, I'm going to give you all free health care and free college education. Everybody goes crazy. And then Hillary tries to explain it. And it literally sounds like she's explaining calculus. Tell, talk, like, real it, quick, real quick. Hillary Clinton is one of the dopest elected officials we've had in a very long period of time. Do you agree? I mean, she got shitted on for no reason. Well, she got shitted on because she's a politician. And I, I like Hillary. I liked Hillary. But when I sat down and I spoke to her and I, I wish people would actually have listened to her a little bit more. Like Even when it came to the 94 crime bill, she said, well, look, I wasn't in the administration when that went down. But we got that wrong. And I want to become president so I can get it right. Yo, what that's how that's what you want. That's what you want, right? That's what you want. How didn't that cut through? You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know. I I wish all of them would watch Bullworth. I remember I remember President Obama. I've seen you quote, you've been quoting so many things on IG about Bullworth. Tell me about it. Because President Obama said he was gonna go Bullworth in his second term, but Bullworth has always been one of my favorite movies. And when you watch Bullworth, it's literally a movie about the language of politics being dead. And I just wish more Democrats would understand that because when you talk to these people off the air, they kicking it like I mean, you kicking it right now. Yeah. Like, like, and I'm like, why can't you bring that the TV? Like, yo, Bakari, there's no such thing as gas anymore. Joe Biden could literally speak freely if he wanted to. And, and, and it's no mistakes. It's no mistakes. We don't expect our politicians to be perfect. All we want them to do is be good. Like I saw, I saw that interview Will Smith did with Angela Rye and he was saying, you know, oh, I was I was about to go there too, but you I, you said with Angela Rye, I was like, I saw that interview he did with Jada Pinkett. You wrong interview though. Crazy too. But he but he was just saying we need politicians that have God. 
And listen, I, I can't say what a person's faith is, but God to me just means you have genuine love and caring and empathy in your heart for people. And I don't think that comes off from, comes out of any politician. So I don't expect you to be perfect. I just expect you to care about the people who elected you. And so we're we going to wrap up because I know you got to go. I know you're on vacation. And, and I want to say that I thank you. I know I've been harassing you for the past few days about doing this. The Bakari Tellers podcast is a new show. And we've had some great heavyweight uh, guests, and you are at, at the top of that list. So before I end, I want to ask you something that's kind of lightweight. Tell me about what you thought about the Jada and Will. I, I don't know. I know, you, I know you're part of the, 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 the Smith Pinkett Winfrey Knows clan. But tell me what you thought about that Red Table Talk with, with Jada and Will. That was the realest thing that I've seen in a long time. It was emotionally heavy for me. Yeah, my last name is Pinkett Smith Winfrey Knows Carter. I'm going to be honest with you. When I watched it, I just was like, honestly, my first reaction was like, Will must be clean because <laughs> I don't know, man. Like, like he might be, I, and I'm with you, my brother. I am. I'm hopeful because you know. But he, I heard he every Jada. He was present Jada like she was the serial cheater. Like she had done got caught cheating mad time. Will but did said, you not? Did you not feel every time he said, "Oh, mm-hmm." Yes. Yep. I felt yes. that. Like I, that was a di- that thing hit my spirit different right there. Will Will was like I started to, when when he said I was I was done with your ass. I was done with you. I felt and that. Then he was <laughs> when he was telling her like what you mean entanglement and really? what you mean yeah oh yeah. since since we're on we're on your show tell me what entanglement that's that for me was heavy but it was you a, can it was only a, speak like that when you clean yo when you a man you can only pressure a woman like that when you clean because usually a woman in that situation did that because of something you did. And I think that I don't know. I mean, that's that's and the cra- so August. It was four and a half years ago, though, right? So, like, how do you what to sell albums? Is that why you do it up? And then why 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 are side dudes talking so much? When did that when did that become? I think cool? he was genuinely open. I mean, come on, think about it. That's Jada Pinkett Smith. I mean, and August is younger than both of us. I know how I felt about Jada Pinkett Smith growing yeah, up. So imagine that twenty right. three year old man with that icon of a woman. You know what I'm saying? And it got to make you feel like the man based off who she's been connected to. That was that she's pop. And you won. And you won. I mean, you, you beat Will Smith for a minute yeah. until he came back. Exactly. So and even though he got her body, he didn't get her mind. But that had to make him feel like, man, I had to make him feel like the man. But then it got deflated quick. So I, I don't know. I thought it was very I thought it was a very interesting 12 minutes. I didn't like the whole scripted uh we ride together, we die together, bad marriage for life. I'm like, huh? <laughs> I, I just I thought it like was that. so, I thought the beginning of it was so, I, I mean, Will, when Will was like, I'm playing the politician's wife or husband in this situation, I was like, yeah, he we've is. seen that before. That's what I'm saying. But the, once again, that's another line that leads me to believe Will must be so clean. Like, literally, he said he was playing the role of the politician's wife who got to sit there <laughs> after the politician just got Transgressions. Caught. Whoa. Whoa. That man. was deep. Now, nah, I thought it was I thought it was very, very interesting. I do know that if that was if Jada was a guy, though, and Jada had said he came to me for healing because he was mentally in a bad place. So you fucked him. Like you took advantage <laughs> of the poor young man. <laughs> like, man. I mean, the crazy thing about it is, and and Jared, you know my partner Jared, who's the EP of this show. He he don't like to be mentioned, but whatever. Jared was like, if this was about, if if this literally was Will on the opposite side of the table of Jada, he would have been canceled. That man would have apologized for the roles that he was playing, right? Yes, 
And she's a and it would have been a young girl because August is 27 now. So he was 23 at the time. She's in her 50s. And, and this person came to you for healing because they were in their mental health wasn't where it needed to be. And you slept with them? God damn, y'all. I, I just hope that with the same grace we give in Jada, even though she's getting roasted on social media right now. They calling her the, the, the female future. But even, <laughs> even, even with that, she is getting some grace. I just want men to get that same kind of grace too, man. But yeah, it was powerful. And it just showed me that when you love somebody, you got to be willing to, you know, uh, allow them to make mistakes. I've been with my woman 23 years and she's made mistakes and I've made mistakes. I just well, don't, I, I, I don't know if we could get to be, be to that point in our 40s, <laughs> 50s, but man. Man, Uncle Charlotte, my twins are, uh, are ready for me to go. That was a dope episode, my brother. And, and you're so right and so true. And I'm so grateful for your friendship. As I said earlier on, what people don't know about you, what I know about you, that you're an amazing father an amazing husband. I'm just happy that you were part of the Bakari Sellers podcast. Thank you for coming on. God bless you on The Breakfast Club. Bless you on uh, your new Comedy Central special. And we will be drinking Remy White together soon. Thank you, brother. Next up is my good friend. And again, Charlemagne's my older brother. My younger brother is Stefan Gilmore. Um, just an amazing soul. So this is a great episode for me. And I'm really happy to have these two individuals on. Next up is the Defensive Player of the Year from the New England New England Patriots. And the only wide receiver that he cannot stop in the league is me. And I'm, I'm just telling y'all that because <laughs> as he knows, the way I yeah, run right. routes is <laughs> <so> crisp. <laughs> Man, look, so we, I'm going I'm to start. Tell me about your reaction to signing Cam. How you feel about that? It was, it was a great um, signing. I think um, you know, Cam very hungry. I've always been a Cam fan. I think he's hard to prepare against and you have a great opportunity to, um, you know, compete for a starting job. And I'm looking forward to um, seeing him on our team. When you say he's hard to prepare against, I mean, Cam is what, 6'5", 240, 250, maybe run a, he run a 4'5". A he's a little older now, so he might be, a, but still, that's an animal coming around the corner. What, why do you say yeah. he's hard to prepare against? Are there any other quarterbacks like him in the league? I don't think as big as him is strong, and um, I just think he's a, his own unique player. Um, he's, you know, obviously he can run the ball, he can throw it. You know, anytime you can do both of those things, it's hard to, you know, um, get ready for a certain thing. So he always keep you off guard. You know, he's he's a, he's very hungry this year. I think he's more, he's healthy now, so I'm just looking forward to him helping our team out. Have you spoken to him since he's been a New England Patriot? Yeah, I talked to him. He hit me up, um, and we've been texting. So right. I'm just I looking mean, forward listen. to you know the, the battles and practice, you know, and all that. So I'm no, I, I came can't to wait. I came to a couple Pats games. Of course, the one game I came to was the Panthers game, and he torched y'all. Your first hit, <laughs> boy, and then I came to the to the Kansas City Chiefs game. That was one of the best games. It was a Sunday night game, one of the best games I've ever seen. You play, or or anybody else play? How? Tell me about your 2020 schedule. Do you circle wide receivers, like, or do you just take each team as they come? Yeah, I take them as they come because I know, um, you know, a lot can goes on into in the season. So you got to kind of try to take it game at a time, a day at a time, and um, you know, prepare because you know, a lot, like I said, a lot can happen, injuries, anything. So I just try to take it day by day. Let's just let's just be real because I give you shit all the time, rightfully so because I you I. 
I tell people that Stefan Gilmore is my little brother. I love you like that, and and we're really close. Um, tell me who are the top five receivers you have to guard. Top five ever or now? Well, shit, do both. Both? Yeah, well, just give me the top. Give me the toughest receiver you had to guard ever, and then give me your top five right now. Okay, Evers, probably Calvin Johnson. Did Calvin cook you or what? He didn't cook me, but he was very tough. <laughs> <laughs> he's huge, uh, man. That dude's huge. It ran like a 4'3". He's huge. I'm like, this dude is huge, and he can move like this. All right, top five now. Um, A.B. now? Now. I mean, you can count A.B. because he's so good, he's probably going to end up on a team anyway, so count A.B. A.B. You got um, Tyreek Hill just because his feet. Yeah, um, Odell Beckham's pretty tough. But you shut him down. I mean, we don't even want to talk about that, but keep going. He's tough. He's tough to cover. I mean, a lot of guys, sometimes when you're covering them, it's like just because they don't kill you, they're still tough to guard because sometimes the game plan don't go his way. So that's why I say him. And I, I would I mean, go but do you? Uh, I mean, is that all film work or is that athleticism? Like, because you're at the point where you're – because I was – never forget this. I was at the bar. Watching the combine, I was at DBs. You know about DBs down the street from the crib, and I was watching. I was watching the combine, and you ran like a four four, and I was like, "Holy shit!" When you ran a four four, I was dapping everybody up at the bar. Nobody knew why I was cheering for this random kid from South Carolina because you balled out. But so, is it like, is it skill or is it athleticism when you got to guard these dudes? I think it's a little bit of everything. It's skill, athleticism, it's preparation. It's, um, you know, game plan. It's a little bit everything goes on into it. But I think by me preparing each and every week and really studying my opponent, that's that's what helped me out each and every week. And you know who I tell you the only player – who who's the only player I want to see you go up against right now? Julio Jones. I, I mean, I, haven't, I, I would say he in my top five, too, but probably one or two. But I haven't played against him. It's crazy. Since I've been in the league, I haven't played against him. All right, so we named four. We named, we named Hill – Jones, A.B., Odell, who's number five? I say Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas is a, is a monster, though. But they, I mean, he, they throw him 30 passes a game, so he's he bound to catch monster. 10. He catch him. Yeah, he do. <laughs> You're right about that. So looking <laughs> back at, looking back here on Carolina, who's the toughest player you had to play against? I know y'all played a lot of zone, especially your last year. And tell, I mean, a lot of people want to know this answer. Tell me about playing with people like, DJ Swearinger and Melvin Ingram, and how gifted was Jadavion Clowney? As y'all y'all call him Doodoo, I know y'all do. Yeah. <laughs> how, how gifted? How gifted was Doodoo? Uh, and you can you can tell him why y'all call him that if you want to, but whatever. How gifted was Doodoo when y'all played against him? You know, Doodoo. I, I met Doodoo when we was I was like ten years old. He was playing. He was like six seven. This dude was like six foot already. I'm like, who is this little kid out here killing? Killing kids, like <laughs> like just running them over. I'm like, you're, old, you're older than him, right? You older than JD. I'm right? older than him. I'm like, we call him JD. Kid? Everybody from Rock Hill calls him Doodoo. <laughs> yeah, but he's he was always a big kid and just dominating and just very physical, very strong. He was he was um, you know, they don't make his dad is bigger than him. That's crazy. His dad is is huge. His mom is six three. So. It was bound to make a, 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 a freaking nature kid. <laughs> so I had, I, as you know, I, I, we talked about it before. By the way, Steph is the worst golfer on earth. I'm trying to get Steph to play more golf. 
But um, one of the things we talked about with Deshaun was on the first episode, and Deshaun Watson had one of the best Clemson teams. I mean, I talked shit about him for three years, and he just crushed us. Um, with that team of Steph Gilmore, DJ Swearinger, JD, Marcus was on that team, Connor Shaw was on that team, Alshon Jeffrey, would y'all have beaten Clemson? Oh, even Melvin on that best Ingram. year. Melvin, Melvin Ingram. Ingram, keep it going. <laughs> Who was y'all? y'all? Y'all probably had a tight end too. I don't even remember. I mean, it was Wesley just Saunders. Like, oh, Wesley. We asked, By the way, Wesley got a raw deal, but that's a, that's a different different conversation. <laughs> yeah, but ooh, I think we would have beat them because we never lost to Clemson when I was there. So I had that bragging right. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So, but y'all lost to Tennessee, and they sorry ass. Yeah, but when we played Clemson, we or Kentucky, or Kentucky. Yeah, but when we playing Clemson, <laughs> when we playing Clemson, we was not letting them beat us. Like simple as that. Do you remember that game where DJ got a personal foul called against him, and then he caught an interception, ran the touchdown, and threw it in the stands? That was that was when I left. Oh, you were already gone. I was already gone. <sighs> Tell me yeah. this: do you do you miss Buffalo at all? No. <laughs> I miss their fans. Their fans, great fans, but I don't miss. <laughs> when I was there, it wasn't it wasn't how it is now. So I would say no to that, you know. Right. Um, but I'm let happy where I'm you. at now. I know you are. Let me ask you. A, let me ask you another football question. I know you got. I know your time is short. So let me ask you a couple. What, what's it like playing for Bill Belichick? Tell me that. What is the what? What I asked Antoine Vince this about Dean Smith, who's the greatest basketball college basketball coach ever. Let me ask you about Bill Belichick, who's the greatest NFL coach ever. What is it like playing for him? It's it's um it's it's been a great opportunity. Um, he's very strict, you know, he's a technician. He studies, you know, all formations. He knows the place, the call to stop certain things. So, and I think he demands the best out of all his players. You know, does he coach offense at all? Or does he just coach? I know he coached special teams, but does, does he just coach y'all? I mean, he what, does what's everything. it like? He's, he's, he's involved in everything. He's, you know, he's well then why don't you why didn't you play wide receiver last year or catch punts? I mean, that's what we need. <laughs> <laughs> it's already hard covering guys. I mean, I, I can't. <laughs> First of all, I want y'all to know y'all need to go to my Instagram page right now because it's up. I was out there running routes against Steph and you know Man, my, you look terrible. He, he he like, what is what is this? He's like well, First of all, I you didn't know, know I, you have to sprint like this, these starts and it stops. Was, this is terrible. It was a lot. My I was out of breath. But <laughs> You do know that I try to work out with Steph when I can. Uh, how do you feel about going into training camp and playing, given the spikes we're seeing in cases of COVID and college teams reporting shortening schedules and COVID outbreaks amongst their teams? What are your concerns? It's tough because um, the number one thing is keeping everybody safe, you know, and they, I think the NFL is going to protect us as much as possible. So I think we have a um, plan in place and, you know, try to be safe on our, on our end and keep our family safe and see how it goes. But, you know, the number one thing is health. And and that's what matters. It's, it's not even just about us. It's about our families. and It's about other people that we can affect. So we, we have to be careful with it. Are you ready to go into a bubble and like the NBA and not be able to see? I mean, you got two young kids. Are you ready to go into a bubble and not be able to see your family for four, four months, five months to try to win another Super Bowl championship? I mean, that's what y'all are sacrificing. Yeah, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you have a job, you have to do it. And um, if that is that what we have to do, uh, we have to do it. So it'd be tough, you know, a lot of things in life tough. So you got to put up with it and, um, you know, try to stay close to your family and 
and do what's best for them. Just a couple more questions, Steph, because I know you got to take care of the kids. We're doing this interview late at night, so Steph had to put his, his babies to bed. What makes it not even what makes, but is if you had to text Cam right now, and because everybody hears about this Patriot way, what do you tell Cam Newton about? I know you live close to, I don't want to tell everybody where you live, but you live close to Gillette Stadium. We know that Bill Belichick don't have no passes of, you know, snow and everything else. What do you tell Cam about the culture of the Patriots and what's different from everybody else? Because everybody can't fit into the Patriots culture. And you did. Not only that, you won a Super Bowl. And you can tell me if I'm wrong, but shouldn't you have won a Super Bowl MVP? I would say yeah. that. I would say that. But you know me. I don't like. I know. I you, should. I, you, you, you're, <laughs> you're humble. You're humble. Yeah. I know. And then, and then the Super Bowl, you all didn't win. I'm from South Carolina. You don't have to say it. The Super Bowl, you all didn't win. You got beat by the Eagles. You don't have to repeat this. You can just say yes or no or not say anything at all. If you were gonna, if you were guarding Alshon, that would not have happened in the first half. Correct? I know that for a fact. Okay. All right. So yeah. as long as we, so, <laughs> so what do we tell what do we tell what do we tell Cam right now about the Patriots way? There's one thing I, I know about, you know, playing in New England, you have to be mentally strong. You, know, you got cooked, you got cooked your first couple games. I don't know about that, but um, you have to be mentally. <laughs> you have to be mentally strong. Um, you have to be very hungry. Everyone's get treated the same. There is no no superstars, no no nothing. So if if if, it, if something don't go right, someone's going to get on you, and we're going to correct it. So no egos. You know, it's a team. The one common goal is to win, and and I feel like that's the Patriots does that well. So my last couple of questions are are very personal questions. You know, my first question is, when you saw the George Floyd video, you were in the you were in that tape that made its rounds. What did you think about me and you were both? We talk about a lot of stuff often. You have two beautiful kids. You have Bash and Jelly. I have Kai, Sadie, and Stokely. Being a black father, what is it like in this new environment? Because you teach me shit a lot, and yeah. I know that when I'm out there, you know, running routes and stuff, I teach you shit. But you know, whatever. Tell me what. Yeah. T- tell me what you. What is it like being a black father, having that platform in Boston that you have? What What do you learn from this moment? What do you want to do from this moment? You know, I just. Um, you know, it's tough because you know things like that happen. It's a lot that goes on in this world, and um, you know, it's tough. It's going to be a tough conversation to have with our kids one day. Yeah. You know, uh, we've been through things growing up as kids that you know wasn't fair. Um, on our end and I experienced things that I don't think I should have experienced but you know just me being you know the color of my skin you know it's, it's like that sometimes so I just want to do whatever I can to you know help other little young kids you know not be scared and talk up for other little kids because it's not even about myself it's about my, my kids your kids you know growing up and, and, and giving them a fair chance to be successful in this world and and be treated fair. Well, yeah, as I always tell people, Stefan Gilmore is my brother. And what's next for you after football? Because you're 30 years old. Um, you're still very gifted. You got another good five, six years, seven years in you, however many years. I hope you end up closer to family. You are the heart. And I mean, for this is the crazy thing. And you don't, you don't even know I'm going to say this, Steph. But we, Steph and I went to a gym this past week to, to work out. Of course, I was lifting way more weight than Steph. Don't worry about that. <laughs> And when we came out, 
this is this the testament to to how good of a person you are. When we came out, the people who worked at the school said the gym was closed down. So we and we don't want to be around people. So we went in, but we the people who work at the school they were all like, "Oh my God, that's Steph," and we remember you from when you were in school, and you spoke to them kindly and you were respectful as always. That's who you are. But what's next for you after football? Because this ain't gonna last forever. I mean, yeah. I, rem- I remember when you tackled Eddie, Eddie Lacy. Steph Gilmore tackled Eddie Lacy, and I thought Steph was dead. <laughs> My shirt had- almost fell off. <laughs> <laughs> he tackled Eddie Lacy in the cold and almost died. So yeah. what? What's next for you after after football? You know, I want to see where my kids at after football and spend a lot of time with them and my, my wife. And uh, you know, I want to get into you know maybe some college football stuff, some SEC, some SEC stuff. I love football, so um, you know, I would love to you know break down the young guys that's coming up and and trying to be great players and and see how it goes. You know, that's that's one thing I want to do. I want to stay around the game, but also have time for my kids and family also and spend time with them. Well, you know, as always, I say thank you. You didn't have to spend, uh, you know, 30 minutes with me on a on a, on an evening night as my kids are coming around the corner. I know your kids are asleep, but my brother, I love you. Thank you. I will see you in the gym whenever day you ask. And uh, <laughs> thank you again for joining the Bakari Sellers podcast, my brother. Appreciate it, fam. Always. Nice talking to you, man. 